Hi, everyone. This is Carmen. I'm Christina. And this is Historias Unknown, a podcast where we talk about Latin American history. Sometimes it's horrible and deals with heavy topics like racism, corruption, and genocide. But more than that, it's also about resistance, power, and community. And today we we're talking about a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I'm sorry I sound sick still. A little bit of Monica, a little bit of Christina, and a little bit of, I forgot the rest of the names. I only remember my own. Of course, you do. Yeah. Um, no, today we're, <laughs> we're talking about the Chicano Moratorium. And maybe also we might make a two-parter because we're also going to be talking about Ruben Salazar. I just don't know if it's going to be in this episode or if it's going to be a second part to this episode. Okay, so it might be one. It might be a two-parter. Yeah. Either way, we're for sure talking about the Chicano Moratorium and Ruben Salazar. I just don't know if it's going to be yeah <laughs> together or not. Right, right. And we've alluded or mentioned the Chicano Moratorium, I think, in other episodes. I'm not sure. I'm sure we have. We had to have, I think. Yes. Well, I have it written here where oh. we might have talked about it. Okay. So, so shh. No. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. Um, <laughs> hey, you're lucky I didn't say shut up. <laughs> you're right. So I think we might have mentioned the Chicano Moratorium in the episode where we talk about the 1970 Uvalde School walkouts. I was going to say that. Then we had another. Yeah. 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 We had another episode where we talked about the 1969 West High walkout in Denver. And then in those episodes, we briefly talked about the 1968 East LA walkouts. And all of these things are related to each other because it was all during, you know, the Chicano movement. Um, I guess the beginning of the Chicano movement. Yeah, and all encompassed into the civil rights movement. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Christina's children are also guests on this episode. Not good guests, I will add. They're very demanding guests. <laughs> they really are. Very loud guests. Yeah. <laughs> um. And so, yeah, the walkouts are all connected to the moratorium and more broadly to the Chicano movement. And more more broadly to the civil rights movement. Sorry. Which emerged in the 60s and 70s. Yes. Yes. Right. And then the walkouts, the the ones we talked about right now, they're not the only, you know, walkouts. Like it was happening all over. And then they're also referred to as blowouts, which we do mention in those episodes. Yeah. And so during these school walkouts, Chicano students protested educational disparities facing their communities. And many of the students recognized how those educational disparities also led to more Chicanos enlisting in the armed forces and then therefore dying at higher rates. But also the draft was happening back then, too. So, yeah, the East L.A. walkouts involved seven high schools and 15 to 20,000 protesters across L.A. And after 10 days, the L.A. Board of Education finally agreed to listen to the list of demands from the Educational Issues Coordinating Committee, a group consisting of students, parents and teachers. And it was on the heels of these 1968 walkouts that the Chicano Moratorium was formed. So the Chicano Moratorium, first called the National Chicano Moratorium Committee, was a movement of Chicano anti-war activists that built a broad-based coalition of Mexican-American groups to oppose the Vietnam War. And it was first formed in November 1969 by Rosalio Munoz. Does that name sound familiar at all to you? No, should it? I mean, I'm going to tell you about him right now, but it makes sense that it doesn't since we don't learn about these people. So Rosalio Munoz was the first Mexican-American UCLA student president. Oh. 
And yeah, he was one of the founding members of the Chicano Moratorium. Other founding members and leading organizers of the march included the Brown Beret co-founder, David Sanchez, and then also other student groups that were previously involved with the East LA walkouts. Like you already said, this period was marked by an era of social change <laughs> and movements. We're talking about a time period that's mostly remembered, you know, by hippies and a general anti-Vietnam War activism um, and civil rights, all that. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I remember learning about from this period during my U.S. history high school class was the deadly Kent State protest. Uh, Yeah. Right yeah. at a university protesting Vietnam. Kent State. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We did learn about that. I briefly yeah. forgot. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this general rise in anti-Vietnam war sentiments influenced Chicanos who were already involved in activism and the Vietnam Moratorium Committee, which was national, inspired the Chicano-focused anti-war protests. Mm. Um, and so there was a study done years prior by political scientist Rafael Guzman, which found that Mexican-American servicemen had a higher death rate in Vietnam. Specifically, the study looked at casualty roles from the southwest states of Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Colorado, and found that Spanish surnamed soldiers only made up 13.8% of the southwest, but accounted for 19.4% of servicemen deaths from the war. And is this the same stat that you had? Uh, yeah, I had that they made up 10% of troops, but made up over 20% of the deaths. Okay, yeah, I think it's like, um, what is that word? Rounded up to that. Yeah, I rounded. <laughs> no, no, the <laughs> statistic rounded. I wrote down the statistic I found, but... Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, And so these stats demonstrated the disproportionality of Mexican-American deaths caused by the Vietnam War. And along with the national movement against the war, these were some of the things that inspired Chicano activists. I think a lot of things that are a lot of like Latinos in general go forgotten in wars because they were a big part of World War II as well. But it's not like mm -hmm. we don't learn about it. But then when you add in that Vietnam was like the first unpopular war ever. Yeah. Then, yeah. So the founding Chicano Moratorium members sought to use the anti-war message and the disproportionate deaths of Mexican-Americans as a launch pad to organize the community around issues closer to home because they recognized how domestic inequalities were tied to this higher death rate. For example, the educational disparities found in schools, you know, that were being protested at, at a large rate. So basically, the educational disparities that were impacting Chicano students led to less Chicanos on college campuses, which meant that fewer Chicanos were eligible for the college draft deferments. And that's why more of them were being forced to enlist. This yeah. all is making sense. Not to mention that, and this is something that still goes on today, but um, military recruiters yeah. often recruit at, you know, brown and black campuses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because of the, you know economic differences less opportunities and yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when rosario muñoz one of the chicano moratorium founding members that i just mentioned got his draft card ironically on mexico's independence day that is ironic wow mm -hmm. <laughs> he burned his draft card in protest and said 
I accuse the law enforcement agencies of the United States of instilling greater fear and insecurity in Mexican youth than the Viet Cong ever could, which is genocide. So he's like, why am I going to, you know, and this was a common sentiment. Like, why am I going to go fight the Viet Cong or the Vietnamese? They've never done anything to me. It's like, like the police here or the people here. Yeah. And it's like um, Muhammad Ali said, why am I going to fight for the white man? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So the Chicano moratorium sought to convince Mexican-Americans, even those not already involved in the Chicano movement, to see that the battle for Chicanos was not in Vietnam, but in the struggle for social justice in the United States. And they were right. They were right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they called for a moratorium meeting, a call to suspend or end the drafting of more Mexican-Americans into the war. That's what the word means, moratorium. Yeah. Yeah. Like an end. Oh, I've been curious the whole this whole time. Me too. That's why I added that in here because I'm like, what is moratorium? I kept seeing it. I didn't know what it meant, honestly. Yeah, like I've seen it and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, okay. A temporary prohibition of an activity. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. At the Denver Youth Conference in 1970, Rosario Munoz proposed a national Chicano moratorium on August 29th, 1970 for local Chicano moratoriums from the Southwest and California to come together and protest against the disproportionate number of Mexican-Americans drafted, killed, and injured during the war. Although the protest on August 29th was like the main, the big event, 18 cities, including Albuquerque, Denver, Oakland, and Houston, held marches earlier in 1970 in anticipation of the National Chicano Moratorium. And of course, LA was picked because it has it had the largest concentration, probably still does, of Mexican people in the United States. <laughs> yeah. And I will also add that, like, Oakland is always on the right side of these kinds of movements. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Denver, too. We're, we're talking, like, That's all these true. places, Albuquerque, Texas, like, these were all places that were already, there was a rise in, like, Chicano protests and movement, especially, like, with the youth. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I talked about this Denver conference and also in that the West High walkout episode. I think there so. was a big yeah. I talked about Corky Gonzalez and the whole, you know, uh, organization that he had. And we're going to mention him again just right now, like in a second. So <laughs> so on August 29th, 1970, 20,000 to 30,000 protesters gathered in East L.A., among the attendees and speakers were Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta, and Rodolfo Corky Gonzalez. Big names. And I didn't know they were there. Uh-huh. The Chicano Moratorium began at Belvedere Park and followed Third Street, Beverly Boulevard. Oh, wait, sorry. Where did it, where did this take place? In East L.A. The, oh, the actual, the 29th was L.A., yeah. Yes, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I couldn't yeah. remember, even though I also already knew that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the protests, the big main event protests where 20,000 to 30,000 protesters gathered. It was held in East L.A. And it began on Belvedere Park, followed Third Street, Beverly Boulevard, Atlantic Avenue and Whittier Boulevard before ending in what was then called Laguna Park and later renamed after Ruben Salazar. Oh, um, yeah. The group gathered out around 1 p.m. at the park to hear speeches from 13 speakers. And among those that I already mentioned, activist lawyer Oscar Zeta Acosta, who I learned is from Riverbank, by the way, and went to MJC. Wow. 
MJC. Oh. Shout out. Yeah. Um, he represented Chicano groups and activists like the Chicano 13 okay. um, of the East LA walkouts, uh, Corky Gonzalez, and also Rosario Munoz. So he was set to speak at the park as well. Wow. Among the protest chants that were heard was Chale, no, we won't go. Bring the carnales home. <laughs> oh my God. Love I it. love it. And ya basta. Has a ring to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Both effective. <laughs> ya basta just makes me think of novelas. Oh, I know. Yeah. Ya basta. <laughs> yeah. My favorite's the other one. Chale, no, we won't go. Bring the carnales home. <laughs> For sure. That's a good one. I love it. So, yeah, unfortunately, few of the speakers will get a chance to actually speak because less than a block away from the park, violence erupted at the Green Mill liquor store, which ultimately ended the protest. So at the liquor store, about 50 demonstrators entered the small store to buy cold drinks after the hot three mile march. I mean, we're talking August in L.A., you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Late August. Mm hmm. The owner was fearful that some shoppers would leave without paying and locked everyone inside until everyone paid. And so understandably, this raised tensions among the group and everyone locked inside was trying to leave. So the owner called the L.A. Sheriff's Department, who actually didn't even need to be called because they were waiting this whole time, like nearby. They were already there. Yeah. 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 yeah I was actually wondering exactly how that took place, because I when I was just looking up Ruben Salazar and I didn't look up the Chicano moratorium itself. So I'm like, how did this turn violent? Because everything I found was just like yeah. the owners of the store called the police because of looting. But I'm like, how did this happen? But I'm so glad that you. Yeah. So there wasn't actually yeah. at first any looting. They were just scared that people were going to steal. And then they caused the issues themselves by locking everybody inside in a sm locking 50 people inside a store. <laughs> I'd freak out, too, if I was being locked. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. because I couldn't find that information myself. Interesting. Interesting mm -hmm. how you search one thing and something is omitted. <laughs> I know, huh? Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> so law enforcement officers then arrived in increasing numbers. So I kept seeing different numbers. So I don't know exactly the amount, but I saw anywhere from 500, 500 to 1,500. That's same, same. I came okay. across the same yeah. numbers and I'm like, I don't know which one it is, but I'm inclined to believe the bigger number. Me too, honestly. Yeah. Or in the middle, but still leading towards more than less. The higher. Yeah. So yeah, they were arriving in ever increasing numbers between 2.30 and 3 p.m. looking for alleged looters around the store. By this time, everyone had been, had gotten out of the store and were like leaving the store. And so... You know, this was their excuse to make their way to the park where the actual protest was being held or the rally after the, you know, march and protest. And so when law enforcement entered the park, again, supposedly looking for looters, the cops started physically attacking protesters after a can was thrown at a deputy's vehicle, which is fine in my book. Throwing a, a, a can at the car, I mean, <laughs> not the police violence. Oh, you know what that reminded me of? The TikTok that went so viral, like when Trump was, I guess, when he became president. Uh huh. And, or no, no, I think it was during protesting, BLM protests, uh -huh. that um, he was saying that they were throwing kind of soups or something. Oh. And these two girls were like, had like kind of soups and yeah. they just like reenacted <laughs> the whole thing with yeah. his voice. That just made <laughs> me think of that. Oh, yeah. man. Iconic. <laughs> I want to find that. I need to find that again. <laughs> So, 
Um, so next, I want to share what some of the protesters had to say about the violence. Crusade for Justice activist Ernesto Vigil, who I think I also mentioned in the West High episode. I was going to say, sounds familiar. So he said, having decided to use the incident at the liquor store to break up the gathering, the officers went on the offensive. Speakers on the stage attempted to calm the crowd, but tear gas canisters were landing everywhere. Thousands streamed from the park to escape the gas, while hundreds incensed at the police assault fought back with sticks, rocks, fists, and bottles. The angry crowd rushed the police and sheriffs and twice drove them from the park, catching and beating many officers. <laughs> the officers, though, returned in great, greater numbers and yeah. finally occupied the park, beating and arresting hundreds. So Enrique Nava saw groups of five to six deputies beat down individual protesters. So five to six against one. Wow. Consuelo Flores, then only nine, attended the protest with some of her older siblings. Consuelo was resting, sitting on the grass when the violence erupted. She recalled feeling like the ground was shaking. Looking back, she went on to say, I'm nine years old and I'm seeing the cop who's supposed to protect me whacking a young man. My shoes just fall off and I just keep running with my bare feet. So now my feet are burning too and I'm just trying to get home. Poor baby. And she was only nine. I know. Imagine being nine. Yeah. I mean, talk about... Obviously, she has already been exposed to radical thinking. But yeah. something like that, that changes you forever. Yeah. And so she recalls the memory as a traumatic event, saying, to this day, even talking to you about it right now, I want to cry. Oh, I want to cry just hearing her words. <laughs> Gloria Molina, who went on to become the first Latina elected to the California Assembly and the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. I also saw that Consuelo went on to be like some government leadership position. I just didn't write it down, so I don't remember. Oh, A wow. lot of the people that participated in this did. I can imagine. Yeah. So anyway, Gloria Molina said the following. We were really there to have a peaceful march and we wanted to make a point and instead our community was destroyed Salazar was killed and hundreds of people were hurt by the bat batons I feel like I say that weird batons oh I knew that was wrong I'm like I, that doesn't sound right <laughs> <laughs> the batons like, the fuck are you saying tampon the batons <laughs> that's what it felt like tampon yeah <laughs> let me re-say that and yes. hundreds of people were hurt by the batons <laughs> They came in with such force. Um, another demonstrator, Tomas Benitez, then only 18, remembers standing there and a deputy coming from behind and whacking him. He said, Jeez. it was the outrage. It was the violation. I joke about it. It was 50 years ago and I've been pissed off ever since because it was just unfair. Like he was just standing there. Yeah. What the fuck is that? Yeah. T typical cop shit, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, Henry Gamboa Jr., who was part of the earlier East L.A. walkout, said, People are trying to persuade you that you're less than human and at the same time need your human body to go fight a war and make sure you never get an education. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Soon a riot encouraged by police. Inf inf sorry. Oh. Soon a riot encouraged by police infiltrators <laughs> broke out. And sorry, people, I laughed because I was mispronouncing that, as you obviously heard. <laughs> I, well, I was going to edit it out, but now I'll leave it in. I feel like I had to explain why I laughed after that. <laughs> you could re-say it, it and not laugh. It only makes sense <laughs> if you keep it in. <laughs> yeah, I know. Or you could re-say it and not laugh. Okay, should I re-say it? If you want, unless I keep it in. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Yeah, okay, just keep, I'll keep it, in. it in. Yeah. So yeah, infiltrators. 
And in fact, it was later found that the, and as we now know, the FBI through their Cointel Pro program was surveilling Chicano movement, the Chicano movement and infiltrating Chicano groups, along with other political activist groups like the Black Panthers, Black Power, American Indian Movement, and numerous feminists and animal rights groups. Yeah, it's like we've said, who didn't Cointel Pro get? Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> anybody <laughs> that was like fighting for any kind of justice was Cointel pro <laughs> For real. Yeah. Ultimately, four people were dead, including journalist Ruben Salazar. Dozens were injured. And and I saw varying numbers, but around 150 to 400 people were arrested on August 29th. The Chicano moratorium movement tried to continue, but all subsequent protests ended in violence. And the LAPD raided the moratorium committee offices numerous times. Finally, when the LAPD fired at a crowd at another protest on January 31st, 1971, leaving one dead and many wounded, Rosalio Munoz called for an end to all moratorium activities. And this is what they do. This is, this is. Yeah. This was their goal. Attack and attack until it's too dangerous to continue. Arrest the organizers. Kill the organizers. Rosalio himself was arrested. Yeah. And, and targeted. Yeah, until the movement cannot continue. Yeah. Actually, a lot. I don't know if still now, but I was listening to a podcast, which I highly recommend. Um, it, what? It's, it's the one I've been sending you, the geopolitical. Oh, I've been listening to it like nonstop. Yeah. Geopolitical. Uh, economy? Yes. Mm-hmm, by Ben Norton. Yeah. So, um, oh, man, I wish I remembered what episode I was listening to because I've been listening uh, to a lot of them. But in one of the episodes, one of the older episodes, I want to say from like 20, no, I don't remember, sorry, but not super long ago, but maybe like four, three to four years old, the, the episode, there's still like 13 or 12 activists that were being surveilled and were later arrested through the Cointel Pro program. They were still in prison. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And now to this day or now today, what they use are uh, RICO. What? It's like a RICO law that they use now to arrest pro- uh, organizers and protesters. Hmm. Like the um, Cop City. Oh. 12. I think it was one of the first like movements against Cop City that mm-hmm. then uh, organizers were arrested. And there's 12 people currently like facing trial or already sentenced. But it was through RICO charges. RICO? Yeah. What is that? Let me look up the, the exact thing so I don't say it wrong. Okay. So I haven't RICO heard of that. Act, I'm pretty sure it's. Yeah, so it's the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. Oh, okay, okay. Actually, this is probably used back then, too, because it's of oh. 1970. Yeah. It seeks to strengthen the legal tools and evidence gathering by establishing penal pro- new penal prohibitions and providing enhanced san- sanctions. Oh, I can't mm-hmm. read. I'm sorry. <laughs> and new remedies for dealing with the unlawful activities of those engaged in organized crime. And they're using that to call movements and protests organized crime and adding like charges that maybe didn't exist before in order to imprison activists this is what happens they make shit up too (laughs) yeah yeah i was re i was re-listening to our um episode of la gran marcha and um, oh my god tell me why sometimes i just re-listen to that yeah i have our (laughs) some of our favorites that i re-listen to (laughs) But sometimes I re-listen to because like this one, I talk about other episodes um, and I didn't re-listen to them. I just looked at my notes. Um, mm-hmm. But 
I'll really listen sometimes because of that. I'm, I'm not just in love with our voices. It's not that people, I swear. I'm dying. <laughs> um, but where's it going with that? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I was re-listening to that episode. And there we talked about how being caught or like crossing the border, quote, legally is was an administrative. Oh, yeah. Like issue, like a it was not like a technically a crime until yeah. recently. So then we were talking about how like they, they made it they a just crime. just make shit up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in 2011, the sheriff's department issued an inspector general's report that found that deputies used excessive force at the moratorium and were poorly trained. What a surprise. <laughs> wow. Yes. <laughs> um, and were poorly trained to handle large crowds in 1970. One could argue they're poorly trained to do it today still. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the activists, they are, <laughs> from back then, back then, Mario Garcia noted that the moratorium set the stage for Latino empowerment later, stating, in the end, they didn't achieve revolution but they achieved some very important reforms and opportunities in education in media in the political system and economically rosalio muñoz looks back at that day with bitterness and in 2020 he said the following i got up with other people and we've been fighting back from then on we're still fighting back oh that chills yeah and for me, I just think it's not cool that the <laughs> largest anti-war protest organized by people of color in U.S. history is overlooked. We didn't learn about this and we learned about all these other movements. I'm telling you, and I've said this so many times, but during this time period in U.S. history, in our junior or sophomore year, whatever that was. I think it's junior. Why the fuck did we learn so much about Woodstock? I don't give a shit about Woodstock. Exactly. <laughs> I would have rather learned about the Chicano Moratorium, but I don't know how many times. A Woodstock, like, who cares? Who, who cares? I think that if we learn about Kent State, we need to learn about the Chicano Moratorium. And 100%. I don't know if things yeah. are different now or not. I'm assuming not. <laughs> I don't know. I, w- I would assume I would assume they're worse. They're probably not doing teaching about Kent State anymore. <laughs> um, probably they took it off the books. They probably removed that from the books. I've seen the updated textbooks from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly revisionist much yes <laughs> yeah well yeah and that's why some people are so, so like like we can you know to put that in context of today we're seeing right now one of the biggest anti-war movements which it's not even a war oh, yes. the occupation of gaza yeah. is not a war it's israel occupying gaza right but mm-hmm. we're seeing some of the biggest movements against war to this today and some people are like on twitter having these discourses on like oh i don't remember people protesting this another war this much and it's like please look up the chicano moratorium look up protests and movements that were happening after 9-11 people were protesting wars yeah Yeah. but yeah i mean numbers that we see today like to this day for gaza are unprecedented like they're insane these numbers are huge unprecedented yes yeah. thank you i was wording it to myself quietly before i said it yeah like um texas fifty thousand people were at texas's march that is the mm-hmm. biggest march that texas has seen wow for, and that was for palestine i mean the washington dc one on the fourth of i think that was the fourth of november also insane numbers oakland oakland has people were blocking shipyards yeah. there was just a sit-in at the city hall 
um mm. like today or yesterday mm-hmm. at the time of recording um schools were walking out mm-hmm. fremont high school somebody put up the palestinian flag at fremont high school oh my god i love it yeah and it's all the cities that we've already been mentioning because again like i mean these cities have a rich history of this because of all of the disparities and oppression yeah. that the people there have to go through 100 percent. and then you see these dumbass people on twitter like i've never seen this and it's like because you're not looking yeah yeah it reminds me too uh and this is off topic sort of oh yeah um, <laughs> of how we don't learn about labor history here yeah like somebody once told me recently embarrassingly that <laughs> um that they thought we got our uh 40 hour work week because um henry ford thought it was a good idea and i was like excuse me people fought people died <laughs> over that oh my god yeah i've seen people say that too and, and i was like, like how do you think we get things like people don't give rights <laughs> yeah like and if we learned about labor history and labor unions uh, there'd be like a larger understanding of labor today a lot <laughs> yeah 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 also speaking of labor unions um uh-huh. the post office union that's not what they're called i'm sorry i don't remember the, <laughs> i don't know either the name but the male people you know yeah mm-hmm. um they uh put out a statement that they stand with uh, palestine no way wow yeah um and then i think i don't remember if it was i don't remember what latin american country but one of their port workers like unions are refusing to load ships to israel oh i heard about spain spain sorry not america sorry (laughs) still hispanic Hispanic america yeah hispanic (laughs) america they're doing that somewhere else um ireland it might have been ireland australia which is who are the ones to say mate Hey, mate. That is Australia. Yeah, I'm like, who says? Yeah, it was them because I watched the video and someone said that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Someone said mate. And so it has to yeah. be the people that made uh, Bluey. <laughs> oh, Bluey's Australian? Yeah, Bluey's Australian. I've seen videos, but I never listened to them with sound. So I didn't know what they sounded like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, while we're um, here and this is going to come out. Well, I don't know if it's an update on Unsettled a lot, I guess. Miss Universe is taking place. What day is that? Do you remember? November 18th, people were calling for John Legend to, like, not show up. Yeah. Because, you know, to protest um, that Salvador Bukele's regime. And we've talked about it many times, how, you know, yeah. many have been arrested. Many are disappeared currently. Yeah. Many human rights abuses. Yes. And that was like a petition that people yeah. were passing around. So we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> I'm sure he'll go because, you know, I don't know. Because people, the artists don't care. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, sorry, I was going to say, people did the same thing to Lord when she was going to perform in Tel Aviv. Um, and they let her know about everything on a mass level. And she didn't go. Oh, okay. So maybe it will work. I did sign the petition and I shared it on Twitter. Me too. Yeah. I shared it to my personal and our historias unknown and novelas con cafecito. Yeah. And then also um, Bukele officially became illegally the candidate for presidency in El Salvador. I'm like, it's official now. So yeah, that was my last. This is just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. We're I can't talk anymore. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Carmen, for giving us context for our first part to the two parter. (laughs) 
We're so bad at I'm so bad at ending. Yes. Part one of two. <laughs> yes. Part one of two. Because next episode, I'm going to be talking about Ruben Salazar, which you mentioned a few times in your episode because he was one of the deaths that, well, he was murdered by the police. Let's, yeah. To not put it let's, lightly. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's not whitewash it or whatever. Let's be real. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to be talking about in the next part. But I mean, if you if you learned something new today, I don't know. Give us a five star rating. OK. <laughs> yes. Actually, I, let's do a shout out really quick. Oh, before we end there, we did have some new um, Apple podcast reviews. Oh, and they were yeah, good yeah. reviews. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> OK. Oh, from Cuento Crimen. Oh, love them. <laughs> shout out. They said, I love listening to this pos- podcast and it's amazing knowing that they're from Oakland. Yes. Shout out Oakland. Our what is the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I can't think of the word where we learned our radical roots. <laughs> yes. And then from it says Prof. Julian S. A well-researched show with talented and fun hosts. The episode on Chicano Park was really great. I teach about this park every year in high school history classes and learned a lot. And I love knowing that you teach about this in high school because I would have loved to learn about this. I love that. I know, I know. I, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, amazing. Because like, yeah, I would have loved to learn about this in high school. That was a fun episode. Yeah. Just the way they took that park. Oh my God. It really was. I'm going to read this So yeah, thank you for the new reviews. Yes, thank you. It means a lot. And also anyone that messages. Well, sometimes people don't leave reviews, but they'll message us like, oh, I heard an episode on this and yeah. like, my family was there and they're like... Thank you so much. And I'm like, oh my God, you're making me I love hearing about that. Me too. Me too. So yeah, thanks for listening. And what what is the thing we started saying? We said, we hope this is one less historia unknown for you. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.